What you need to do on your first deal is do the deal to get in the game. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day. Welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. As always, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. I hope you're having an incredible day and you're out and about being productive, listening to my podcast at the same time. Thanks for tuning in and continuing to grow your investing knowledge of U.S. real estate. If you're new to the show, then welcome. And if you're a returning listener, then you already know you're in the right place. Today's guest is a very inspirational real estate entrepreneur who is here to talk to us all about how he went from not owning a single property to executing his first deal, which is a multi-million dollar ground up construction project here in Redondo Beach, California. Jason Muller, welcome to the show. Thanks, Reed. Appreciate it. So Jason's background is in architecture and he completed his undergrad at USC here in LA. He spent a few years in corporate America before returning to school to complete his postgrad in real estate development. Jason now works full-time as a project manager for a real estate developer in Long Beach, California, but he also finds time to execute on his ground-up construction deals, which he's doing on the side. Jason and I actually met consulting on a few ground-up projects here in LA, but Jason, before we jump into understanding how you're absolutely crushing it in your first multi-million dollar ground-up construction deal whilst working full-time, I might add, can you tell the listeners something that most people might not know about you unrelated to real estate investing? Sure. You know, I grew up in a with my brother in uh, Redondo in the South Bay, uh, California. So it's it's within Los Angeles County, mm-hmm. and uh, we we kind of grew up with limited means. And uh, you know, we went to public schools, which I found interesting. Uh, I was able to meet a lot of people, and uh, my my father was a design engineer by trade, mm-hmm. not by by his schooling. So. He he read all the old you know popular mechanic books, and uh, he did fairly well. But uh, he had a lot of traveling that he had to do, so we ended up moving to a bunch of different schools growing up. But it, it did teach me to be able to socialize with people that I didn't know. I, I gave me it it, it kind of helped me break out of my shell of being shy growing up. And so my brother and I were able to learn that as we kind of went from school to school. As we were growing up, my father kind of transitioned from being a design engineer, really kind of with like automated uh, mechanical systems for like uh, manufacturing into home building, right? And so my dad started doing home building and I always told my father, oh, I would love to be a contractor or, or a builder. And he, and he always kind of mentioned to me and kind of suggested that I should look into architecture, because architects, you know, they work in the office and they, they sharpen their pencils and they, and they get the designs done and they're, they're more the coordinators. And so I went to architecture school at a junior college in El Camino over in Torrance and was able to understand that I really liked architecture. I got lucky. I had a couple of great mentors, you know, uh, Dan Richardson and Mike Stallings, the dean of the architecture department out there, really inspired me to not only be a good student, but also understand that, you know, architecture means a lot more than just, you know, designing. 
And so my brother and I did really well in that school. He ended up going, so my brother also studied architecture. He's one year younger than me. His name's Keith Muller. And uh, he went to the new school of architecture down uh, south in San Diego, and where I went to Woodbury, uh, actually, for my undergrad and studied architecture there. And that's really where, like, it all started. That's kind of where I started understanding, designing. And I was, like, all about just building residential homes. But it really opened up the idea of uh, designing commercial buildings, museums, cultural centers, understanding that there's a bigger platform, and bigger uh, kind of design need out there in the world. So I traveled, did a lot of traveling, you know, to, to Europe, et cetera. And, uh, you know, kind of in a nutshell, when I was able to get out into the real world, I got a job at the Journey Partnership, worked on, you know, islands in Dubai, over the top architecture. And it was pretty amazing. I never even knew what a seven star hotel was till I worked there. 2008, Lehman Brothers, the whole financial meltdown, uh, you know, happened. The funds for all the major projects got pulled. I ended up uh, relying on my software skills, worked for an engineering firm for a while. Then I uh, ended up working for an architecture firm, lower tier, underpaid, overworked. One of the best things I was able to do was work for an entitlement company after that. Really learned that I was good at working with city officials and coordinating people. And I was really just like, wow. There's a lot more to this architecture and, and this whole real estate industry than I ever could imagine from the architecture perspective. And that's when I really started to open my eyes to understand that investors, developers are, are really the people that are, are, are employing the people that are employing the jobs that are, that are actually a bigger facet of the economy than I ever thought. And uh, that's when I made the jump to you know, study real estate at USC uh, under the Price School of Public Policy, and that's kind of where everything got started. Wow, well, mate, that's absolutely incredible. So, you, just to recap, you, you you grew up in the the public school system, and and you know, I myself grew up in the public school system in Australia, and I love that sort. I love that system. So, so good work for that. And then you went to architecture school. You got out into the real world. You decided that mm, this wasn't sort of what you wanted, and you started seeing other opportunities open up. And as you sort of said that the developers are really helping run the economy through employment, through creating opportunities. And that sort of ignited your spark to scratch the surface of what is this real estate development? Have I got that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. So listeners, as you know, the show is all about international investors breaking into the US market, but today is a little bit different. Uh, and Jason is truly one of those go-getters that we talk about on this show a lot. So when I first heard Jason's story about his first ground-up construction deal, I thought it was absolutely incredible. And I wanted to get him on the show to illustrate how to balance a full-time job uh, whilst doing large deals on the side. So Jason, can you start out at the beginning and, and give us some specifics on this deal that I'm alluding to, you know, you and I have talked about it on, on numerous occasions, this deal in Redondo Beach. And how did you stumble across it? And, and it's because it's not every day that you just go out and just decide to do a, a multi-million dollar ground up development. And, and I, I take it from your background that it was sort of maybe a, a natural stepping stone. And, and how did it come across your desk? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting story, actually. Uh, my brother's friends from San Diego had mentioned they had 
uh, doctor from uh, Harvard uh, that w- wanted to invest into real estate. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, and, and they're all architects. And I was the only one that kind of had a development and business background straight coming out of USC's uh, school, you know, Marshall School and uh, Price School. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll give you guys a hand. And, you know, what we did is we went and we scoured the market. We used all of the tools, you know, like Zillow, uh, you know, the MLS, uh, Redfin, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We went from like 100 pr- properties to 50 properties to 20 properties to 10 properties. What we did is we presented them these projects and it ended up, he said, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to invest anymore. I'm going to go get married instead. <laughs> and so everybody was like, okay, that's great. Whatever. That's a great idea. Goodbye. And I was like, wait a minute. There's, we like did some great work. We got these great packages together. And so what I did is I refined them more to about five projects. And I realized there was too many options. So I was like, if we can get this project or, or these five projects kind of tightened up, I do the numbers do the architecture, et cetera, then uh, we're in the game. And I was like, but my dream's too big, so I need to get a better team, uh, you know, as John Maxwell says. And I was thinking, I need to get a contractor that knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I had, I had lunch with some of the best contractors, you know, that I met in my career. And, you know, I asked them if they would be interested in, one, doing the deal, but two, to, to sign the deal, to be the the, the guarantor right. because I don't have a $5 million or $20 million dollary, uh, that I could just sign away to get this $4 million loan or this $3 million loan or whatever. And one of the contractors said he would consider it. And I was blown away. I was like, wow, I can't believe he would even consider it. And so what I did is I got, a, a, got with a realtor because I don't have a real estate license. I don't have a, a builder's license. And I said, hey, you know, if you can help me get this deal that I found in Redondo Beach, it was listed for 185. What, and you can 100, just, uh, sorry, just, just to one, clarify. I'm sorry, one, yeah, $1,850,000. $1, so right. that was the price tag that was listed for. My man, Rami Amanufi, was able to get the deal for 1300000 This is your broker, right? This is your agent. This is our, my this is my agent, and so I, I relied on other people's skills, other people's specialties, you know, to to be able to understand. So the the builder was like, okay, you could probably build for two hundred dollars a square foot, right? The 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 broker's like, I could probably get you X amount off of 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 the asking price, and so I was like, okay, well, what's the next step? And my brother is a licensed architect. He ended up getting his license. I went to business school. He got his architecture license. And he says, you know, I'll do the architecture. I have my license. So I all of a sudden just assembled this uh, team. license, this <laughs> licensed team to present to my investors. Wow. So what, my whole game plan was to say, hey, I have a team of licensed professionals that is, is spearheading this development. I need X amount of equity for the bank to say yes. And we can everybody, do it. you know, kind of, yeah, we could do it. The only problem was, is I had never raised a hundred thousand dollars to put it down as a down payment. Before. Right. 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 And that's what you needed a hundred K in a down payment. Is that it? For the down payment to, right. to, to just to tie up and open up escrow. Right. So okay. I had, I had my team together 
and also it was go time. It mm-hmm. was okay. You guys got accepted. You need a hundred thousand dollars down for you know in, in the next five days. So we, it was a bit of a scramble, but I was able to reach out to my immediate uh, friends from USC, the people that I was talking about, a couple of uh, you know my classmates from uh, the business school, the MBA school, as well as the MRED school at USC, and we put together a hundred thousand dollars. I had to sign my life away to all those guys saying, if anything happens, I owe them that money. If, if we lose the earnest money deposit, I owe that money. I will be working and washing dishes for the rest of my life to pay them back. <laughs> and, I, and I am dead serious. It, it, took, it took that for right. me to get my original $100,000, right? Wow. And uh, I know it sounds funny, and I'm trying to be a little, you know, uh, loosen up a little bit with some jokes, but... You know, and it was interesting because I had to do the same thing to convince the builder. Now, now it was real time, and I had to I had to raise the the extra 1.2 million dollars of equity in order for the bank to give us a loan. So we sat with the bank. The bank looked at the uh, builder's financial statements, mm-hmm. and they all said, "Hey, great, you, you, we'll accept your builder as the guarantor." You need to put, you know, one point three million dollars of total equity in, and the builder says, "Okay, they're asking me to sign my, all my assets. You need to give me a trade-off." Okay. So I, I had to, I had to pay my builder one hundred thousand dollars to be the guarantor, plus the building contract. Right, and just to sorry, sorry to cut you off. This is an incredible story. Just to just to scale back just one minute. So you stumbled into this deal. Your your friends came to you and said, hey, we've got this doctor friend who wants to buy real estate and you happened to form their team back in the day and you went around and you ran around, you did, you got a bunch of deals together and then he fell through and you sort of were left with the pieces and said, well, oh, okay, we could do this ourselves because there's some cracking deals out there. And then you went and developed your team because there's, you know, someone used you to, to help source deals because you had the, the real estate business background. And then you went and sourced other people, the, 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 your, your brother, your, your GC with the license architecture, your, 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 your agent, and, and you, you pulled that together and then presented that to your investors. I think that's, that's, a, that's a incredible. Sorry, I just wanted to recap because that's, you, know, you went through a lot of steps there and you know, obviously getting to that point is, it shouldn't be scoffed at because that's an achievement in itself to getting it approved and, and finding a good deal and it looks like you've done that. So sorry, continue with your story. It's fantastic. No, no, and, and that, that's a great recap. That's that's very accurate. Um, and so, you know, we all agreed that we would pay uh, the the builder, you know, the hundred thousand uh, dollars. We were able to sign uh, the bank uh, statement, and uh, you know, we were able to raise a portion of the equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we we were able to raise um, the equity uh with one company I won't name the company uh mm-hmm. that I'm talking about yep. but they were they were like we will put $500,000 of of preferred equity in the deal you could use it for the acquisition and you have to give us you know 15% uh you know preferred return yearly return and uh, we're like okay great the day of closing they wanted to add some extra guarantees to to the document yep. that were above the LOI mm-hmm. and they were unacceptable to us because they weren't in the original LOI. And so they and LOI meaning from letter, letter of intent, the, correct? Yeah. The letter of intent from, for them to lend, let us borrow $500,000 right. of the 1.3 that was required from the bank. Mm-hmm. 
they they walked the day of closing <laughs> the day of closing right so we were all like wow and so my mentor greg collin also the gc from harvard business school he got his mba at harvard he mentioned to me weeks before that jason make sure you have a plan b plan c plan d contingency plan in case anything happens wow so i did not i didn't i did not flinch you know, I, I, I was I was heartbroken. Don't get me wrong that they they, they backed out on the deal mm-hmm. and we were in a hard place. But I called Plan B two minutes later, and Plan B said yes. Wow. They came in with the deal with five hundred thousand dollars in two days. We closed the deal, and <laughs> and we're on to the next. And wow. So That's I was incredible. Just, everybody was amazed. Everybody was like, I thought the deal was dead. I thought you guys were like not be able to handle it. And we were able to to keep the boat steady and not head for the rocks when there was a little turbulence. Wow! And, and, so, and explain a little bit about the the plan B. Did you so you already knew prior to going into the closing uh, to the closing table that there could be the slightest chance that something could go wrong. You know, something could fall over sideways, and so you had already anticipated that. And you sort of did you have them subconsciously on the speed dial, or was that just more? It, it, that's the way the cookie crumbled, and you're like, "Oh, I've got to quickly recoup here and, and get and get them that's funny. Uh, get yeah. get them on the uh, on the deal." Is that is is that how it worked? Sometimes people have a, a, a like a you kind of you have sometimes have to go with your gut, your intuition, mm-hmm. and there was something fishy about you know the the initial investors that were coming in at a good price for the preferred equity, and there were a couple they didn't miss they missed a couple of deadlines, they missed a couple of phone calls, they were always a little late. And we're just like, are are those the type of investors that we want to team up with, you know? Mm -hmm. And Plan B investors, they were on time all the time right? and stuck to their word. And those are the kind of guys that we wanted to be involved with. The thing was is that their rates were a little higher Mm -hmm. than than Plan A's uh, investment team, Mm -hmm. which was a trade-off for us. Right. my uh, Greg Cullen, my uh, mentor, mentioned to me is, Jason, your first deal, you're not going to get rich off your first deal. What you need to do on your first deal is do the deal to get in the game so that you could go to the next bank and say, they ask you, have you done this on your own before? And you say, yes. Wow. When you go to the next big investors and your project's not $4 million, like the Redondo deal is, yep. now it's $10 million. And the guy's going to ask you, have you done this before personally with your own team, not with a, on a commercial scale? Yes, I have. That's and incredible. so I honestly think that you know, if I make a lot of money off this deal, great. If I make a minimal amount of it, it's already paid itself back with all the credibility I've had with the banks, consultants, and, and people – in my in my immediate sphere of influence, I love um, I, I love that. That's a, that's an incredible way to look at it. To just to get your foot in the door and get your first deal off the ground, you, you sort of you might not make any money, but you're learning so much along the way. And as you said, you're building a ton of credibility. So next come round two, you're going to be able to smash it out of the park. But but anyway, so so and you and my, I might remind the listeners that you're doing all of this whilst you're working full time. So how did you balance that? I mean. I went to architecture school, so I've been pretty conditioned. I feel like I just, you have to be a go-getter. You have to find time. 
I think everybody that says they don't have time is just making up excuses. Mm-hmm. Everybody has the same amount of time. Everybody needs to figure it out. You need to be very well scheduled. You need to respond to your emails. Don't sit there with a thousand emails in your inbox and, and just be coordinated, you know, and I found the time. I found the time to be able to uh, work full time and do a good, a great job at work, not just mediocre job right. and find this deal, coordinate all these consultants, these investors, you know, putting this deal together, loving my wife and being able to surf on the weekends and play music on the side, you know, like that's incredible. You, ha- you have to be able to live your life and have a balance as, as the Greeks said, you know, you can't just be pigeonholed into just, this Doing... is what you have to do, you right, know, because right, right, right. at the end of the day, I enjoy real estate, you right. know, and, and that's you know, huge, isn't it? Like, this... A lot of people don't enjoy real estate. They think that it's going to get in to make some money and, and actually they don't enjoy running, managing people. They don't enjoy going and you know dealing with contractors or dealing with property managers or something like that. So that's awesome. No, absolutely. And, I, I just wanted to, wanted to add one thing is yeah, uh, don't get me wrong. I am in this deal to make money. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> there, there is money to be made. So it's not just for me to be in the game. That's a plus. That's right. a bonus. Right. It's a bonus. There is a, a, there's a piece in there for me as well. You know? Fantastic. And I want to touch a little bit about on you mentioned before re-entitlement. And, and obviously, like a lot of people who listen to this show either are you know, flippers or they buy and hold for cash flow. But what is, you know, explain in layman's terms, what is re-entitlement? So you've got this piece of land and, a, you know, you're essentially adding value to it. And, you know, in, in, a, in a flip project, you go and you add a, a nice kitchen or you add some nice, you know, paint the walls and, put you know, do it up. How does re-entitlement work and how did you play that? And, and because you knew of that through your background in, in the re-entitlement company that you worked for, do you just want to explain how it works in the, in the city of Long Beach or just in general around the United States? I have a good, great example. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the term entitlement means that you have gotten the approval by the city, they call it city planning department, mm-hmm. to build something. And so if, if you have a vacant plot of land and it's zoned, zone is just another term for these are the rules, this is what you're allowed to build yep. by code. You go to the planning department and say, here's my plan. I followed all your rules. I, am, I, am, I would like to build this. And you give them a conceptual set of drawings, and they go through – There's every municipality, every city goes a different process. But right. at the end of the day, they give you an entitlement to build, for, in my case, three new units, right? right. And so once you get that approval, you've – just re-entitled or entitled your land. So you've just created value with the work that you've done to lower the risk of, of this investment. Mm-hmm. So the day, day one, when I was pitching this project to my investors and saying, I am going to go to the planning department and re-entitle this to build three units, that, that has some risk because they could say no, there can be you know neighborhood up, uproar, a lot of things can have acts of God, whatever it might happen. Right. But now, now that I have it re-entitled, mm-hmm. I've had builders offer me money Wow. for the re-entitled land. More than what you paid for it, correct? Oh, absolutely. So we bought it for 1.3. They're like, we'll buy it for you today, 1.6 all day long. 
you wow. know, or, wow, wow, wow. you know, whatever it might be. And it was only a couple months and you, you do the math and, and the returns are great. The only thing is it's like, you're only moving a little bit of money. So, th- so the actual amount of profit you're making is smaller, but if you do it on a yearly return and you multi divide it by 12, yep. it looks great. But um, at the end of the day, this wasn't a re-entitlement play for me, mm-hmm. but some deals are great re-entitlement plays because some builders don't want to deal with the city. Mm-hmm. They just want to have a shovel-ready deal. So a lot of the times you can go and find a property that just needs to be re-entitled, buy it at, say, X amount, and then you're able to sell it for X plus your 20% profit in six months. So it, it's that that's another way to cut it up is you can either do an entitlement and development play yep. on in real estate, or you can do a re-entitlement play and make the profit. There. And just, and just essentially sell the piece of paper because that's what you're doing. You're selling plans to someone else to say, yeah, you can go build these plans now, but you know, and you take a small, a smaller profit. So, so with that being said, Jason, you just mentioned the time frame there. What typically is the time frame taking into the city? Now, you you said you're building three units in Redondo Beach. That is under the the threshold to, to class as commercial. It's still residential. So, is it is it a quicker process than if I was to say try and build five units or six units where it would be sort of zoned as commercial? Mm, I mean, if you were to do day one and have your drawings ready, it would probably be about three months. Uh, process to get your entitlement uh, to to be able to be approved by the planning department, but it takes about you know it takes three to six months to design the project, and then you go to the planning department, you get their approval. Once you get your entitlement approval, you have to build it to uh, California Building Code and IBC, which is International Building Code. So you have to get it built to be safe, to be occupiable. So that's another time frame that's about three to six months depending on where you are so it's you know if if you want to average it all out i mean i would say to be permit ready for a build a good a good placeholder would be nine months altogether right for for, for that size of project right for that size yeah exactly right 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 so we you you talked about making money uh off this deal now you're you're spending a lot of time uh pulling consultants together you know developing the right team around you you know you're essentially playing as as people like to say the quarterback here in the united states or or the conductor so how do you set up (laughs) so you so you pay yourself are you putting in certain fees in the sort of underwriting to say, okay, I'm going to give myself a project management fee. I'm going to give myself a development fee. How, how does that work in your case? It's a great question, Reed. And so I want to share a little bit of advice that one of the men- my mentors from USC, Alan Coton, uh, from the School of Public Policy, had shared with me was real estate is about other people's money. And I have invested zero dollars in this deal. Mm-hmm. So the way that I structured it is that I was able to do my project management fee. Mm-hmm. So I, I put in a, just because it's my first deal, I put a $20,000 project management fee on the deal. And what I did is I wanted to um, count it as equity in the deal. Right. So it, it actually accrues interest, it accrues profit. So you're actually making more money than just the $20,000. And my brother is the architect, so I do also have a design management fee mm-hmm. uh, installed in there, which is about $10,000. Mm-hmm. So 
just from the front end. So there's two types of equity that, that a developer can get is front end and back end. So my front end equity that I'm building in this deal is $30,000 on the front end that's invested as equity yep. in the deal that gets profit. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the deal, I get 5% of, of the profit um, that the investors have made, the total profit. Yeah. And so what, what is great is that if the deal tanks, um, I still have a little bit of front end uh, profit. And if the deal does well, I have back end profit. But the deal is structured so conservatively, conser conservatively <laughs> that there's a real high probability of a home run right. where I've structured it where it's a percentage of the profit. So it gives me incentive to make sure that the project runs smoothly throughout because I have back end a profit. If right. that answers your question. Yeah, no, no, that, that's a that's a great answer. And just to tie it all together, so you you purchased it for one point three, is that right? The land, one point three million dollars. That's correct. And then how much you, did you spend in entitlement and holding costs to get it sort of shovel ready, as you said? How much, how much was that? Uh, I would say about three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand. So you're like one point six now. And then to cons to build these 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 units, what are, what are you looking at uh, to build it? I would say 1.97. So, <laughs> so you're all you're all in the deal for 1.97, or is it 1.97 plus 1.6? So I could break it down yeah. um, here, guys. Is uh, the land was uh, one million three hundred thousand, mm -hmm. right? The hard costs are about one million nine hundred and seventy thousand. The soft mm -hmm. costs, which which entail, uh, you know, architecture, structural. Permits, etc., is about two hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and you, you got to watch out because you do have carry costs on the interest uh, for your bank. So that was about one hundred and seventy, and I always factor in uh, a good broker's fee for the brokers that sell it. You always want to get the best brokers on your project. That's about one hundred and ninety. Closing costs are about fifty. So the project altogether, the costs are about three point. Nine five, so three million nine hundred fifty thousand dollars. The gross proceeds for this project are in the ballpark of about four million seven hundred twenty-five thousand. So, give give or take, overall, there's about a profit of about seven hundred and eighty thousand dollars. So it's wow. about a twenty percent profit. Wow, uh, that's incredible. The, I would say profit margin. Profit so, margin, right? Pro, yeah, the profit margin is kind of. The bottleneck that the banks always look at. They're like, if your if your profit margin is under fifteen percent, mm -hmm. then you're kind of thin. If your profit margin is above twenty percent, you're looking good. The way I structured it though is I used preferred equity. So if you look at it this way, can I give the example? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. It's uh, if you have to raise ten dollars to build a lemonade stand, right? Mm -hmm. And you have five guys on the right that are saying, hey, we'll lend you the $10, but you have to give me a 50% profit, right? right? Then you have the guys on the left that are saying, we'll lend you the $10 and we'll just charge you, you just have to give me a 25% profit, right? right? What happens is you take the cheaper money mm -hmm. and that gives you a bigger profit. Right. So what I did, instead of taking all the guys that want 50% profit on the right side, mm -hmm. I took preferred equity in the middle 
that gave us that required a 25% profit. And then I had below that, I had my private investors Mm -hmm. that also had preferred equity at 25%. And then I had below that is a common equity. Right. And so right now, our common equity uh, investors are looking forward to about a 45% cash on cash investment per year, uh, return on their investment. Wow. And that is 10%. So the market comps for the sales of these properties mm-hmm. are 10% below what current market is before we've even started construction. Wow. So if we were to hit market, current market today, our return on, uh, you know, our cash on cash returns is projected at 63%. Wow. And, might... <laughs> and, and yeah, I know. I, and if, and only if, you know, if everything stays equal, um, our project trends at CPI, uh, consumer price index yep. of 2% per mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. and follows market trend. So market value, our projects looking at an 81%. Um, the only thing is, is that, this is these are this is condo construction, so there's more risk, but the risk has been minimized because we already got the entitlements, yep. as I mentioned earlier. Yep. I've I've lowered risk because I have a licensed contractor, and and this is lessons learned, guys. Make sure your contractor is at all the design meetings. Uh, if you can get him there without paying him a fee, if you can, pay him a fee because it's worth it. Worth um, every penny. Because. Yeah, because now you know our our budget is aligned with what we've allocated, and everything's looking good. The market's looking great. Um, you know, only risk is you know it's election year next uh, year. But even if we sell today, which our performance is the most conservative, we're, we're, we're we'll do great all day. That's fantastic, mate. I as I said, listeners, this is an incredible story. Jason is a wealth of knowledge, and just there's so many great little information or tidbits or nuggets, as well, I don't know what you want to call it, that you've just said. There's so much good information. There's you know making sure you have the contractor on board early to to understand exactly what it's going to cost you to build this thing uh, and to mitigate your risk, as you said, uh, understanding that. Getting your first deal on the, off the ground, you might not make a ton of money, but it's the credibility at the end of the day that you're going to be taking away, and that's the biggest bargaining chip, I guess, if, if that makes sense. And you sort of went into the re-entitlement process of how you explained in layman's terms, how you get something that is now having an enhanced value because you said to the city, I want to build X uh, according to your rules, and I can build X, and currently what is sitting there isn't X, it's actually Y, and it's worth now infinitely more, and you've created value through shifting paper. So, mate, you are an absolute incredible little go-getter and doing all this whilst you're working full-time, which is fantastic. So, uh, well done, mate. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. With all your experience, uh, really understanding how to get your first development off the ground here in the US, I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Sure, absolutely. What's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? I would say staying organized. That, that's just one of the things that, um, you know, you can look at someone's Dropbox and see if they're organized or not. You can look at somebody's desktop and see if they're organized or not. And through the words of John Maxwell, you can look at someone's fate by looking at their schedule. If their schedule is blank, you know what's going to happen. If there's scheduled meetings throughout the week, you know that that guy is ahead of the game 
and got got what it takes to be ahead of the game and he and he's coordinated so Fantastic. that's one of the things it's really hard it's it's difficult don't get me wrong um you know and one of the things that i did note is email responses are very important mm-hmm. if, it, it's like if you let the email go cold yep. that thought goes cold and so you're you're coordinating with people all over the world and if you respond in a day two three five twenty that thought's gone. That feeling's gone. They don't remember what they were feeling when they gave you that email. And so two people in my life that just totally surprised me is the CEO of Center Cal and uh, the dean at USC, Gail Borden. I just surprised, was so surprised that every time I email them, they would email me back within a couple hours. Wow. And I'm like, that guy is so busy. <laughs> he is, you know, the CEO of a billion dollar company and he emails me back. Wow. The dean of USC is so busy and he emails me back. What is your excuse? Yeah. That's great. What is your excuse? Why why aren't you responding? So I try to try to step up to it, you know, go into those shoes and try to be organized with my communication. Fantastic. Well, mate, that's, that's a good one. Being organized, and, and I reckon we could have a podcast just on how to be better organized yeah, in your, yeah. in your daily that, life. And I I, I, I'm definitely <laughs> a victim of not being as organized as I'd like to be. And I like to spend <laughs> 30 minutes a day on personal organization. It, it doesn't always happen, but we'll, well, that's for another day. <laughs> what, exactly, exactly. Jason, what's the most influential tool you use in your real estate business and why? From a practical standpoint, I Excel, you got to learn Excel. You got to understand uh, the numbers. You know, you don't want to be ignorant. Um, I was ignorant for so many years. I thought I knew a lot in architecture. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know numbers, you don't know construction costs, you don't know compounding interest, you have to learn it. Take a class, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, read, uh, read books, you know, read financial books. And those are the tools from from like the financial side, yep. but also from like a practical side for me, you got to always continuously be reading. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you read it all the time. Look up the most influential business books, you know, read mm-hmm. Dale Carnegie, read, you know, how to win friends and influence people, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, read uh, how, how to uh, think and grow rich. There, there's so many books out there, you know, and balance it, read, uh, stuff for your your marriage, you know, the five love languages. Read. You have to continuously be learning, otherwise you're just standing still. I love it. Um, and and some people say, hey, uh, what what did you learn before? It's like it's not really what you learned before. It's like what you have you learned lately? What have right. you done lately? Right. You gotta yeah, be a, stay contemporary. And I, I'm a huge believer of continuing to grow. You 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 hit the nail on the head. You you never can stop learning and if you think that you you know everything then you're your own worst enemy and you're not going to continue whether that be in real estate business or any business you've got to continue to expand and and and, and, and educate yourself because that's the most important thing is is your education and understanding different facts and, and and certain things way of life and another thing just reading in general helps you with your vocabulary and how you speak with people <laughs> and how you come across yeah. in, in, in presentations so great stuff mate I, I think I already know the answer to this next question but what's the the most exciting project you're working on right now? <laughs> oh, God, that's a tough one. I mean, from a pro- professional level, you know, at, at you know my day job, we're doing some just the most over-the-top, elegant, classy projects, and I am learning exponentially. And then on a personal level, my my three-unit townhome ocean view project 
is just as valuable with experience because I'm spearheading that with my team. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to be honest, behind the scenes, I've been working on a couple of deals with landowners that I've been working on for about a year, Mm -hmm. asking them for their project, their their plot of land was on the market for one, three, and I got them down to a million, but it's taken me, you know, 12 months, and they want to sell in spring, and that's coming up pretty soon, so... (laughs) You're the fir- stuff like that, you know? You're the first one they're going to call. <laughs> exactly. I just, you know, you got to be persistent and make offers. Make offers on deals that make an offer that's 20% less than, than, than the listing price. Fantastic. Somebody's going to say yes. <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> a numbers game, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Jason, who's the most influential person in your career? Wow, that, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, I would have to say, you know, my wife, is the most influential person in my life. She's the best, the person that's given me the best advice and the person that's been able to be a mentor for me, uh, giving me strength. And people that don't listen to their wives, they're, they're losing out on God's best gift that was given to them. And because nine times out of 10, you know, she's right. <laughs> so you gotta watch it, you know? So, um, I, it. it's, it's so true, you know, and I, I always share my stories and, you know, I, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people at USC that I can name and all the people in my life, you know, from church to surfing, to playing music, to my professional, but I share all those stories with my wife and her feedback has built me to the man who I am. So Fantastic. I'd have to give it to my wife, you know? That's awesome. That's awesome, mate. Very, I'm sure she will be very chuffed when she hears this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and Jason, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? The internet's so great nowadays. You know, I mean, you could look me up. My my personal company is called Beach City Capital. Okay. Uh, you can look it up at beachcitycapital.com. You can also email me, uh, you know, my, Jason at beachcitycapital.com. Uh, I do uh, occasionally teach at the local college mm-hmm. that I attended mm-hmm. every summer. I teach architecture and real estate courses there. I try to give back to the community as much as I can. Though no, you know, I I I'm very short on time, but I find time. You know, Fantastic, so. because you're organized, right? <laughs> I try, I try my <laughs> best. You know, I mean, everybody has room for improvement, and I'm guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, your story is truly inspiring, and albeit we didn't speak specifically about how you can help international investors break into the U.S. market, the story itself just deserved to be on this show. So, well done, mate. I know you're going to crack this deal out of the park and move on to the next one, and you know, continue to grow uh, as a real estate developer. So, so well done, mate. Great. Hey, no problem. And, and if there's any any questions, or even if I can help on, um, you know, answer any basic questions along the way, you know, just look at me as a brother and I'm, I'm here to help. You know, I love people that love the business that are interested. Um, you got to have your heart into it. So I'm right there with you, you know? Fantastic. Well, thanks mate for dropping by and chatting with us. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch up soon. Awesome. Thanks for your ticker. Well, there you have it. A great crash course on how to complete your first multi-million dollar deal whilst working full-time. Truly, truly inspiring stuff. If you're an investor that is interested in learning more about ground-up development, then give Jason an email. I'm sure he's only too happy to help other inspiring real estate developers out there get started in ground-up construction. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Jason and any links we mentioned on today's show. A summary of our conversation will go up on my website at rsnpropertygroup.com. Remember to click on the podcast tab. 
Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge. There's been some great takeaway bits of information today. Absolute pure gold. I think there'll be a few replays of this uh, interview with Jason. And to continue the conversation with us, follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching RSM Property Group. And remember to leave an iTunes review below as we really do appreciate it as it helps us grow a community of international listeners eager to invest in the US. So until next week, take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Thank you.